You got a flannel on. I got a scarf on already. It's like September oh God, 9th. It's been cold for 30 seconds. It was 40 degrees for five minutes the other day, and I made chili, and it was fucking delicious. I mean, daylight savings is coming anyway, so I'm going to be fucked no matter what. <laughs> we all yeah. are. It's like I always forget that fall is so fucking delightful I know. that I forget that it's like, this is the precursor to your seasonal depression. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I saw like a yellow leaf the other day and I was like, oh, fall. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's like it's coming. Death, winter, loneliness. <laughs> Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. Today we are on season three, episode three, Stolen. Opening scene, we're at a busy grocery store. There's this like lady, she has a baby in her little cart and she asks the clerk where the formula is. She leaves the cart with the baby carrier in it at the end of the aisle and like follows the guy to the middle of the aisle to like, oh, this is my brand and grabs the baby formula. Which I feel like would never happen, you know? I feel like that's parent (laughs) shamey. Is it? Yeah. Because, um... <laughs> I just feel like new moms, because, like, this I feel was, like, like her first time out. Like, she probably yeah, would have like been, like... done it. I feel like we've yeah. all done it. Yeah, I really shouldn't say any opinions on any of this, because I have no idea. <laughs> I really shouldn't. I'm like, no one would do that. And I'm like, mm, you're right. Yeah, but you can gosh. say it, because other people think it, too. And then I can go, mm-mm-mm. Yeah. But. Yeah, this is the kind of shit that, like, makes me feel bad for parents like this lady was acting like a regular human for one fucking second yeah just a second and that can change like everything and then you feel guilty for the rest of your life oh so many feelings okay i feel like no one would do that okay ever okay (laughs) it's okay it's okay to say that this is a safe space and then i can be like gabe knock it off So this lady grabs a bunch of formula. She's like, oh, that's my brand and turns around. Literally, this hap- This was like 20, maybe 20 seconds. Not, not even, even, I don't think. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was like 10. Maybe yeah. not even that long. I don't know. And then um, she turns around and comes back to the cart and her fucking baby Emma is gone. And she's losing it, of course. I have like chills about it. You just go back to the cart and the, the car seat's still in there and there's just no baby in it. The entire it baby's gone. Yeah. A half a second. Oh, yeah. So now we cut to Benson and Stabler in the store getting the lowdown from like a beat cop. It's a freezer section walk and talk. Yes. <laughs> the baby's name is Emma Derichek and she's six weeks old. I have a lot of feelings. I don't know if this is just like season three Stabler that I have feelings about. But Stabler goes, how long did she leave the baby alone? And the cop was like, she swears it was only a second. Stabler's like, it's all it takes. Okay, you right. fucking dad. Right. Thanks for the sage <laughs> thoughts. That's all it takes. <laughs> Another beat cop comes up and he's like, motor vehicle office is called. They found something in the ladies room there and it's like right down the street. So they cut to Benson and Stabler in the ladies room at the fucking DMV or whatever the shit it is. And they found baby Emma's clothes in the garbage can, an eyedropper and Librium, which is a sedative. Mm-hmm. And it was to give to the baby to not cry. So the perp cut the baby's hair and Dick Wolf is here to make sure that he squeezes every fucking drop of motherly heartache viewers have mm-hmm. by having Stabes hold up this tiny evidence bag with just a tiny little curl of baby hair in a pink fucking bow. I hate this. Yeah. Theme song. So Benson and Stabler are back at the store talking to the mom. She's freaking out, of course. She's like, stop asking me questions and just find 
my baby, but Benson's like, you have to be calm, which is like impossible, but we have to be calm and answer. You have to answer questions so we can find the baby, you know? Right. No one in the history of being told to calm down has ever benefited from being told to calm down. Yeah. Oh my God, this happens. This exact same thing happens at the tattoo shop all the time. You almost made me spit water all over my computer. (laughs) I always tell people to stand normal because you have to like have be relaxed to put on a stencil, you know? Yeah. And I there's no way that you can't tell somebody to stand normal. It just nobody's ever done that. It's you just can't. I don't even do it to it. I'm like, like, oh, I want to get this tattoo. And all of a sudden, like a fucking standing there, like flexing every muscle. It's fucking weird. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I I get it. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. Now that you've explained it, (laughs) parallel situations. The whole country just took a... (sighs) I get it now. Thanks, Gabe. (laughs) So just just then, her husband, Tony, runs up and hugs her. Gabe's going to start training 911 dispatchers. (laughs) I'm like, just tell him to chill out. No big deal. So she's like screaming and blaming herself as her husband's hugging her and they've got to talk to each of them individually. So Benson takes the mom and Stabler takes the dad. Tony, dad and Stabes are doing a dad to dad walk and talk. He says that he's been trying to calm his wife down since the day Emma was born. One minute she's fine and the next she's crying and throwing things. And Stabler's like, I've got four kids. Sounds to me like your wife is going through postpartum depression he gets like the dad gets like offended he's like Mm. because i don't know i feel like i remember postpartum differently in the early 2000s where it was like this like red mark on you or something or like it was like you were going to be a murderer or i don't know it was like way right it was considered less common when we all know that it's like soups common you know so common I'm surprised that there's people that don't go through that considering your hormones are like it's banana like, like you know you're just it makes sense for what they knew about it at the time because it was stigmatized people didn't talk about it mm-hmm. and then when people did hear about it it was like fucking Susan Smith shit mm-hmm. right remember her yeah and because I mean the dad's reaction right away was like oh when Saber's like maybe she has postpartum and he was like if I thought she was a danger to Emma and you're like okay that doesn't necessarily like Mm -hmm. I so I was thinking like this might be how people thought then and that's when I had Jacoby I was really fucked up after Mm -hmm. for like nine months Mm -hmm. and it was like I didn't know what was going on because they did have shit at the doctor to like fill out like every time he had a checkup I had to fill out this thing that was like are you suffering from postpartum depression well the questions were things like do you cry a lot for no reason and in my head I just had my first kid I don't know what this is like and I'm like no I always have a reason mm-hmm. I think it's just I, I, th- I think like postpartum like awareness stuff has come a lot yeah it's come a long way since then from I mean I don't know whatever but I just know that like it seems that it's doesn't mean that you're gonna drown your baby it doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're gonna fucking it just means you're it's just hard really right. hard you know I mean, I'm just happy that moms can tell. I'm really loud about the shit that I, I'm loud about all my shit because I, I grew up in like 
a religion and a family where it's like, you don't talk about stuff because yeah. people can use it to hurt you and whatever. And I'm like, I talk about all my stuff because how many of these experiences have been like, maybe I should just kill myself. I don't like thinking about other people being there. So, you know, right. it's like, I want you to know, and it's normal to feel that way. Like going to a therapist for the first time and being like, and admitting like some of the thoughts that I had had about just fears mm -hmm. that seemed so unstable I remember, yeah. I remember knowing that Jacoby was in his crib sleeping, but like I would throw something away in the trash and then I would get this overwhelming feeling of panic and have to check the trash when I knew he was in his crib. And I would look in the trash can to make sure I didn't like have a break and throw him in there. Right. You know, like yeah. it's, it's so out there that it's like, how could a sane person think that? Mm-hmm. But that was normal for what I was going through, which is insane to think. And if I would have known, maybe it would have been easier to share. But instead, I was like, if I tell a doctor that I th I'm thinking this, they're going to take my baby from me. Like, this is not OK mm -hmm. that I'm feeling this kind of shit. So, yeah. But yeah, I never wanted to hurt him. I never had like the desire to hurt him. Yeah, it was just but like, that's oh, my God, that can what happen I... too, though. That yeah. can happen. Women can have that feeling mm -hmm. and not ever have the intention of like going through with it, but have that feeling. And it's scary to think that you would share, you know, you don't share it because it's like this says something about me when really it says nothing about you. It's yeah. it's not you. It's hormonal shit. Anyway. Yeah. Welcome back to Moms and Me, Gabe's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> she gets bored halfway through talking about people's kids. <laughs> Uh, okay so Craigan shows up benson stabler and Craigan are doing a walk and talk in the produce aisle classic Craigan doesn't think the mom set this up because he doesn't think that she would have been rational enough to hide the clothes in the bathroom down the street which i don't okay but it doesn't even make sense I know. because the employee was right there next to her when Emma was snatched. So, yeah, I don't know. He thinks it's somebody that's desperate for a baby. Benson yeah. Stabler, I, mean, I guess sure. she could like have someone steal the baby, but then she would have to have like a cohort. I don't know. Anyway. So Craig can call this mobile unit because they got to find this baby like now because time is like with with kids missing. It's bananas. They're going to keep the investigation going in the grocery store because it's more convenient. Craig wants Stabler to put some pressure on the mom to see if she knows anything. Ugh. Which I just don't like. Mm -hmm. So Stabler's back talking to the mom. She's asking about what other clothes Emma had on. And she was that she was wrapped in a yellow blanket because she's cold and she cries when she's cold. Stabler starts telling her about when Maureen was born and all he wanted to do was sleep. He was working these like night shifts and his wife was working the day shifts and he wanted to sleep and Maureen just wanted to cry. And he said he nearly lost his mind, which kind of made me be like, whatever, just dance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, well, because then Michelle goes, it's so hard. And Stabes is like, Michelle, I know what you're going through. I know. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, and he's tiptoeing into, oh, this is just really hard. But she's too devastated about her missing baby to get pissed that he's trying to get a read on her. I'm just sitting there full of rage. Like if a dad was trying to relate to me and what I was going through as a mom. Right. Like the, it, was, it was weird because the music was kind of getting that like swelly mm -hmm. and she was crying and I was like, oh, my God, are, are they setting it up for where she's going to admit that she like planned her baby's mm -hmm. disappearance? Mm -hmm. But she, all she she doesn't. Yeah, you're right. She doesn't get mad. She's just she just starts saying that she loves her baby so much and that she feels like so blessed to have her every day. Yeah. And she's like, am I ever going to see her again? And just keeps sobbing and Stabler like doesn't answer. He's like, oh, 
Like, I don't know. Oh. You know? We're in the mobile squad room. This is like some kind of cool computer bus, but for cops. It's like a submarine and Kragen's the captain. He's the mm. captain in every universe that he's a part of. <laughs> There's an alternate reality somewhere where he is Captain Crunch. <laughs> Toots is on the phone and the other cops are on other phones. And Kragen's barking. There's a lot of phones in this bus. <laughs> a lot of phone work happening. <laughs> yeah. this, uh, for this once. Is- Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Craigan's barking orders at everybody. Every single person in the city basically knows about Emma and her picture. Mm-hmm. Munch says that the only thing they have is a woman with a suitcase in her shopping cart at the store. And Craigan wants him to talk to store security. So Munch heads over to grocery security. They're going through the footage and they get to the point where the mom goes off to grab the formula. Gabe's standing behind the guy, judging, <laughs> shaking her head. She just goes... Mm. Mm. I like how I, I, I'm like, I'm going to do this visual like, joke right what, now. What kind of mother would leave her child? <laughs> As the mom turns her back, you see somebody with a cart lift the kid out and just calmly stroll away down the other aisle. But from the camera angle, they can't see the person's face. Munch tells the old man security guard, get the exit tapes from that time of day and hurry up. It's like, yeah, that was unnecessary. He knows. Yeah. He's helping you. Yeah. Don't be a dick. This is like the most exciting part of this, this guy's ever experienced at his job. He's a security officer at a grocery store. <laughs> oh, my God. So the crazy ex that I had, like I see cap everybody, you know, and this was shortly after I got my restraining order, maybe like six months or something. But I was like, I'm just going to see what he's up to on CCAP. Mm-hmm. And he had been arrested at Woodman's for stealing meat. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I know it's a it, it's just one of those little, little fun little tips. And you're like, like, you know what? I'm still in. I'm still in. <laughs> <laughs> Were they steaks? <sighs> Were they ribs? So back in the mobile squad room, they think that the perp stopped and changed the baby's clothes to look like a little boy. The woman purchased the suitcase bag in the stroller in the store about a half an hour earlier and used a credit card with the name Susan Young on it. Susan Young works downtown at social services and Munch and Toots are on their way. And I'm guessing it's going to be a random lady like, what? My credit card is missing. <laughs> yeah. And then a half second after I wrote that note, Munch and Toots are on the street talking to Susan Young, but it's not the lady from the store. Mm-hmm. She says her purse was stolen this morning at the substance abuse center where she works. Mm-hmm. They show her a photo of the woman and Susan knows her. Her name is Alicia. She's one of Susan's clients and she saw her a few hours ago. Well, bitch stole your purse. Mm-hmm. Alicia has access to Librium too. Alicia's a crack addict and had been doing really well. She hadn't used since she got pregnant and she had the baby last week, but it was a stillborn. Susan says, I can call my office and get the exact address. And she whips out her flip phone and really confidently like bleep bloops the buttons. I just loved how hard she whipped out her flip phone. She's like, (laughs) I can call my office. (laughs) Beep boop boop boop. Her office only has three numbers. (laughs) Wait, four. Beep, boop, 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 four. <laughs> when she flips her phone open, it automatically calls her office. It was like a feature in the early 2000s, but mm-hmm. then she had to dial an extension. Yeah. Obviously, I wouldn't Duh. have not known. <laughs> <Whew>. That was <laughs> close. So Susan calls her office and gets Alicia's 
address. Everybody's at the apartment of Alicia Brown. They must have got a warrant because everyone's there. Benson and Stabler are looking around and Benson makes an observation that it's a nice place. And Benson's like, must have found herself a nice job. And Stabler goes, (laughs) or a sugar daddy. Do I hate him now? I think we do in this episode. Are we going to have to have two Christmases? <laughs> I am so like everything he fucking says. I'm like, those are yeah. Munch's lines. Those are th- those are very Munchy. Yeah. yeah, Christopher Maloney. I think that you highlighted the wrong notes. I think you got Richard Belzer's fucking script. Christopher Munch. Christopher, Christopher Munchoni. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> <laughs> Stabler finds a fucking box full of crack paraphernalia and he's like, she's back on the pipe. Mm-hmm. And Benson finds a pile of cash, a couple thousand dollars in all hundreds. Just then the fucking door opens and assuming Alicia and her bangs. Yeah. And it was like, and like fucking books. It's a chase scene. But then it ends up being, I was like, yes. And it was like five seconds. Stabler literally catches her in two seconds and she's like, get off me, bitch. <laughs> he just he's pissed obviously they're all pissed he's like fucking tell me what's going on Mm -hmm. so she said she had to steal the baby because she promised hers to some dude but it was a stillborn she says the dude is a lawyer named mark sanford she was like she like didn't want to say it and stabler like straight up grabs her fucking face was like tell me who it is i mean there's a baby in danger yeah i mean he wasn't hurting her just grabbed her face and he's like i'm not fucking around yeah i don't know i'd grab somebody's face over lost baby right yeah is that bad I don't know. I don't, don't want to ever excuse like a dude putting his hands on oh. him like that. But it's he's a dad. He's a dad. He gets it. You don't understand. He gets it. He's the only one who knows what this mom is going through. Yeah. He gave birth to his four kids. <laughs> his penis is a mess. <laughs> Sorry. So Mark Sanford lives in Chelsea. Yep. At Mark Sanford's home, they fucking break in. Benson Stabler and three swatty dudes. They hear a baby crying and a woman yell, who's down there from upstairs? (laughs) The woman in her oatmeal cardigan answers the door. She was like, I was calling the police. I thought you were burglars. Benson looks right. I don't know why she's my (laughs) mother-in-law. I was calling the police. I thought you were burglars. Benson looks right at her phone and calls her out. Um, no, you were calling someone else. No time for that now. Where's the baby? So mm-hmm. she wasn't calling 911. Eyebrows at you immediately. Right. The lady says that she takes care of the babies. Stabler opens a door to a room with a bunch of cribs in it. And she says all the kids were given up for adoption. And mm-hmm. Stabler's going around with a photo, holding it up next to the baby's faces like T-1000. <laughs> Have you seen this boy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's not asking the babies that. He's just like holding it up next to the He's like, who are you? Answer me. (laughs) (laughs) It's babies. They can't. So he finds Emma. They arrest the woman for kidnapping. And she's insisting that she didn't know anything. He like holds up the pictures of these babies to all the, all babies look like little alien worms. They're like... (laughs) You know what I mean? They're like, it depends on their age, though. If they're brand new, that's tough. But if they're like a, a month, two months, like you can start to see they have like individual features and stuff. Hmm. I get what you're saying that like all babies look like little old men, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, plus they cut they cut the bow out of her hair. Like, how is he going to know she's even a girl? You know, <laughs> that pink bow. Yeah. Floating around an evidence locker somewhere. What if they put her in blue? I mean, how is he going to tell? Fuck off. Nope, this one's a boy. (laughs) And he's straight, too. (laughs) He loves God and he's straight. And guns. 
I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> he has to sing that in front of every baby's crib. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, like, otherwise they'll be gay. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> then it's your fault. Okay. Uh, where are we? So, well, they they arrest the woman for kidnapping, but she's yeah. like she keeps insisting she didn't know she doesn't know what's going on. Right yeah. now at the hospital, Craig and Benson and Stabler are doing a little hallway walk and talk. There were two other girls and one boy that were in the room with Emma. The doctor mm-hmm. says they were all well taken care of, and Benson's like, "Well, peddling sick babies would be bad business." Mm-hmm. The brownstone they found the babies in was rented to Adoptions Incorporated. <laughs> Coming up with that name was a real brainstorm sesh, right? Yeah. There's a guy there's a guy on the corner selling peanuts and it's called Peanuts for Sale. <laughs> it's like, come on. John always laughs super hard when we drive by this one business. It's called um Accurate Accounting. And he's like, I fucking hope so. <laughs> There was this place on uh, in Arvada where I lived in Colorado that was called literally the sign was a dollar thirty five a scoop. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> oh, shit. So okay. ACS is coming to take the babies and see if there are any missing babies that were possibly being sold. The parents of Emma come running in. The mom goes to sign the baby out and the dad shakes Stapler's hand. And he's like, you know, she's going to see a doctor for her postpartum. And then I was like, oh, I'm so glad they wrapped that up. But then after us talking, I'm like, oh, Stapler saves the... D- okay, whatever. Yeah. Okay. I, I am glad they wrapped it up. But and, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know what? Stabler just bringing awareness in that moment yeah is good like i'm gonna be a dick about like a a man saying anything that's like a woman's place Mm -hmm. so (laughs) the nurse that came out to give them their baby is such a pediatric nurse yeah she was such a good actress perfect she played it it was literally like a non-speaking handoff role and i noticed her that's Mm -hmm. how good she was she like Um, smiled and then like touched the dad's shoulder and walked off i was like oh yeah and the baby kind of cried and she was like oh Oh my god she's in this job because she's passionate about children and families i didn't notice this before but the dad looked like robin thick son of alan thick so I spent like 10 minutes IMDBing that guy to see if he was Alan Thicke's son. But he wasn't, <laughs> He's right? mainly a soap opera guy. I did not find any correlation. Okay, so Craig wants him to contact uh, FBI missing and exploited children and see if there's any kidnappings and stuff. Hmm. Munch and Toots are interrogating the baby watching lady. With the oatmeal sweater. She's um, insisting she's a registered nurse. She says Mr. Sanford brings her the babies. And she's like, he's such a good man. These babies are given up for adoption by families that don't want them, blah, blah, blah. You know, Munch tells her that she better tell him where Sanford is or she's going to be charged as an accessory. Because they don't trust her because she was calling Mr. Sanford when she lied and said she was calling the police. Yeah, there's no way that anybody should be trusted in the situation. There's like stolen babies, you know, like. Right. So she is like, well, I'm not fucking around with this. So she tells him where his office is. Turns out he's a lawyer. Yeah. We're on the street in front of an office building. Mark Sanford, this fucking guy. I'm just going to do this guy Mm -hmm. real quick and then you can go. He looks really familiar. As an actor, I'm sure he's a fine dude. And he has a ton of credits, but I have a childhood grudge against him for being Jack Bradfield, the shitty boyfriend to Henry Rowan Gardner's mom in Rookie of the Year. Mm-mm. Funky butt loving. You've never seen that movie? Uh, Rookie of the I mean, I think I have. It's where the kid ago, breaks right? his arm and then it like heals weird. Oh, then and he can, he can like, throw, like, throw really, hard. really hard and it snaps yeah. and it's fucking Gary Busey's in it. I've uh, seen it. I, it's just been, I probably saw it like once. 
as a kid or who's, something. Who's the Rolling Furter? Danny Glover's in it. Dude, there was a lot of really good baseball movies in the 90s. Oh, I know. They need to bring that back. Fucking Major League. Sandlot. Sandlot um, a League of Their Own. Angels in the Outfield. A League of Their Own. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Field of Dreams. Good. Duh, yeah. I went. We went to that as a family <laughs> to the place that it was filmed. Really? Yeah, it was a like, big deal. Take pictures of us walking out on the corn. It was. It was a great. It was a great fucking movie. There was a cornfield next to my parents' house because I lived in the country and I'm from fucking Wisconsin. And there's a cornfield next to everybody's house, but mm-hmm. I. Uh, I'm I sitting always... in a cornfield right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an ear of corn. <laughs> Is that corn? Is that corn? <laughs> and I always wanted to like mow down a bunch of the corn to make a baseball diamond yeah okay anyway so this guy as an actor he's huge at this time like doing tons of he has a ton of acting gigs he's a very familiar face but i cannot get past how much i hate him as henry rowan gardner's mom's boyfriend and hmm. she like punches him in the face at the end and he's like your mom probably doesn't even know who your dad is and she punches him in the face and knocks him down the front steps nice it's it's, it's so good it's satisfying mm. so yeah he has a, a packed up box and he's booking it down the uh, front stoop munch and toots roll up he says that he has nothing to say without his attorney and they arrest him for kidnapping duh so now we're in the interrogation room this guy's saying he never knowingly put a stolen child up for adoption what it's munch toots this dude and this dude's lawyer. So Alicia had contacted him two years ago when she had given up her son for adoption. And then when she was pregnant recently, she contacted him again. Mm-hmm. And so he he says he had no reason to believe that the little girl wasn't hers. You know, right. the Emma, the missing child. Yeah. So all the cash that she had in her apartment, he says the cash is a reimbursement for expenses related to the pregnancy and birth. And that this is just how it's done. Yeah. Which isn't wrong. I mean, obviously. I don't know if they usually do cash, though. I don't know. Whatever. All this is fucked, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Munch is like, what's in this for you? Then his lawyer says that Mr. Sanford receives a modest fee for his services, 20000 which I don't feel like is a modest fee. But um, there's a lot of ins and outs of all of it. Also, Ben Stiller would play a great this guy's lawyer. I hate this guy. This I lawyer. Do too. He was he was in other stuff, too. Yeah, he's a familiar face. Like a lot of the lawyers are. It's like there's there's only like one good law firm in New York City because mm-hmm. we always see the same handful of lawyers. Yeah. So they're on the other side of the glass in Craigan's attic. Craigan. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you looking at? Who are you looking at? Craigan tells Cabot that this is her call. She's like, well, they need to prove that he knew what Alicia was doing. Otherwise, kidnapping is a stretch. But if they can prove it, it's grand larceny. And Cabot says that they can hold him for six days in the kidnapping and then challenges him to make a case by then. They have to find something. Six days is a long time in SVU world, so I feel like they're going to be able to wrap it all up. Right. And Craigan does not love the grand larceny thing, like proving yeah. grand larceny, because it's so impersonal to liken a baby to a piece of property. But it feels this is where I didn't see in your notes until later that you started strictly referring to Craigan as dad. But <laughs> I literally said at this point, let's not get our feelings involved now, dad. It's time to get <laughs> shit done. Yeah. Yep. Because it, he was very paternal. Yeah. Throughout this entire episode. I mean, everybody's human. Hot take. Everybody's human. <laughs> but they what? but they get all of the detectives at one point or another get emotionally invested in a case. And Craigan's always the first one to be like, can't let our 
got to take your heart off your sleeve and tuck it back into your fucking little lockbox inside or whatever. Mm -hmm. And here we are having Craig and emotionally spiral. Yeah, something's going on. Oh, the roller coaster we go on with Craig in this episode. Mm. Yeah. So we're in the squad room again. Uh, Craig and this is so stupid. Craig and walks up to Munch and Tuesday. He's like, um, when you're done surfing the web, you know, like yeah. they were just on like, I don't know, live journal. I don't know what the fuck was going on then. But like, uh, <laughs> But they're on Sanford's uh, website. They're like, check it out, Dad. So Sanford was born and raised in Brooklyn, graduated Buffalo State in 76, law school in the Ozarks, which is a great show, in 79. And then he was admitted into the New York State Bar in 85, but has never set a foot in a courtroom. So he's like a lawyer, but like doesn't do stuff mm -hmm. like a normal. He doesn't, he doesn't go to court for shit. They haven't found official paperwork on the adoptions yet, but found his ledger. And Munch is going through the ledger, you know, with all the different adoptions throughout okay. the years and Craigan seems to have his memory jogged about a baby born June 2nd 1989 he finds the name of the boy his name is Stephen Talmadge and then he fucking like kind of looks at Munch and he's like <sighs> they're like what's going on and he takes off with the ledger yeah he's like holy shit you guys and they're yeah. like oh my god what and he just leaves yeah that had the same energy for me as when Gabe calls me and says oh my god there's something I really want to tell you and I can't and I'll be like tell me and you'll go I can't I really can't I can't tell you. And I've I've learned to just go, okay. And then Gabe won't let it go. And then I'm like, well, now I have to. Like, and then Gabe will be like, I mean, if I tell you. <laughs> now we're at, a, we're at the Greenwich Diner. I was so mad. I was so mad about the Greenwich Diner. Craig and Munch are eating and meeting in this place. But it is not a fucking diner. And it said oh, it on, yeah. on the title card. It said Greenwich Diner. It looks like a fucking supper club. There's mm -hmm. low light pendants, little lanterns on all the tables, exposed brick. Munch has a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not. A, this isn't a diner. Yeah, it's not. So Craig is telling a story to Munch about how in 89, a woman named Jennifer Talmadge was found strangled in her apartment and her four-week-old son, Stephen, was missing. Both kidnapping and murder cases are still open so he remembers this i think because it's still open but also craig and sergeant max grievey caught the case and worked it like it was his own kid until he was murdered on the job in 91 jennifer talmage's parents call once a year on steven's birthday to see if he has any news but that stopped three years ago so this case has been bugging him for 12 years munch says with all due respect captain and craig and goes i don't usually work cases i know but this is different craig gonna work this case munch is gonna be his it's like where's toots craigan's like move over toots fucking right and toots is like i'll be helping underprivileged fucking kids nobody's gonna talk about it but <laughs> right that's not what i do it for <laughs> okay so now craigan and munch are at the talmage home jennifer talmage's mother answers the door and says like oh my lord like when she sees craigan at the door it's that uh, one lady that i love i don't know who she is but she like happily invites him in she's very excited i know who she is I know you do. Who is it? This is the actress Celia Weston. She plays Cam's mom in Modern Family, and she's in a ton of shit. Yeah. But another one of her big, more recent credits is Lillian Hemings in American Horror Story. Oh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, you would recognize it. I mean, those aren't the only things that you would recognize her from. She's she been has in a, a very yeah. recognizable face. Who She's been in a, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, oh, my God, Herbert. That's her husband. She's like, oh, my God, Craigan's here. Craigan tells him that there's been a development in the case and that they have a lead. But that's really it. That's all that he can really say about it. Talmadge's show Craigan Stevens' room. There's presents everywhere. They celebrate his birthday and buy him 
stuff for Christmas. They never lost hope that he would be found and their daughter's killer would be found. So it's like, it's like this room is like a shrine to like a growing boy. It's really sad. Yeah. There's like gifts laying all over for every age period. Now we're in the jail interrogation room. Craig and Cabot are in there with Sanford and his lawyer. It's octopus legs lawyer. Mm -hmm. Is that guy who looks like a walrus on top and an octopus on the bottom? Yes. <laughs> we don't know what his bottom looks like. These are assumptions <laughs> we've made, but we're rarely wrong. Yeah. So he's like, <laughs> I want to hearken back to last episode when it was the fucking groundhog. <laughs> what is it? I, yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's a groundhog. And you were like, I said, it's a woodchuck. Woodchuck. And then we're like, those are different. And then it was the same thing. It's the same fucking thing. Same fucking thing. Craigan's pissed and interrupts Cabot and asks Sanford where Stephen Talmadge is. He leans in super hard like Stabler always does. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Staves must take after his father. <laughs> he does the thing where he's like standing up and he bends over at a 90 degree angle with his hands on the table and his face in the guy's face. Mm-hmm. So this guy has no idea who that is because he's a piece of shit. Craig tells Sanford he knows that he killed Jennifer Talmadge and kidnapped Stephen and shows Sanford the ledger. And he slams it down like, ha! And Cabot says they're willing to make a deal for info. Sanford says they have no proof he killed or kidnapped anybody. And then he picks up the ledger and slams it down too. <laughs> ha! Like, I could do it. We both are doing it. <laughs> We're both tough. <laughs> Craigan again interrupts Cabot and says the offer is good for 10 fucking seconds. And his stupid lawyer is like, you don't have a case. Craigan <laughs> 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 stands up and says, oh, really? After I tell you to the Talmadge kidnapping and murder, I'm going to nail your ass to the wall. And he storms out. Ooh, dad's mad. <laughs> Cabot runs out after him. Cabot and Craigan are doing this angry walk and talk. And she's like, what the hell was that? Mm. She's like, you lost your cool and didn't give her a chance to do her job and leverage shit. And he's too emotionally invested in the case. Yeah. He's like, I gave you a chance. It's like, no, you didn't. He like interrupted her the entire time. Yeah. She like didn't get to say anything except for like, we have a deal. <laughs> and he, she's like, you're too emotionally invested in the case. And dad says, damn right. Which mm-hmm. you're like, no, no. <laughs> if Benson or Stabler said that to you when you were like you're too emotionally vested you would send them home mm-hmm. yeah if he notices anybody being emotional about a case he's like no shut right. it down but if it's him it's fine okay Mm-mm. just like a dad do as i say not as i do you know i learned it from watching you <laughs> <laughs> so we're in craigan's office munch is in there he read all of uh sergeant grievy's files that's craigan's old sergeant there was only one set of fingerprints unaccounted for in the talmage apartment and they didn't belong to anyone in the system craigan hands munch grievy's notes Dad says he's been on this for 12 years and he wants some closure. Craigan went to Grievy's widow off camera and got his old notebook. And Munch is like, wow, you really are on a mission. Yeah. Uh... That was supposed to be funny. Oh, sorry. Um, So now... So, oh, sorry. Um, so it's now your fault. I was like, that re- it wasn't. I, know, I was like reading ahead when you. I don't know. Yeah. Craigan walks out to the squad room to get the updates. So he wants to know if anyone found anything out about the other babies in the room with Emma. Stabler says that they talked to the kids' new adoptive parents, and they're getting them. According to the ACS, the adoptions are legal, and Sanford followed all the rules. Which I'm like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Did you see Benson's little oatmeal sweater with a teeny tiny collar on it? No. I didn't. Oh my god, it's so cute. Was it, it was a cardigan a, or was it a sweater? No, it was a sw- it was like a V-neck sweater, but then it had this tiny little flip of a collar on it. Oh, I didn't see it, but it was just like very early 2000s like That's well done. two oatmeal sweaters in one. Oh, it episode. was a hot color. <laughs> oatmeal, huh? Mm. Um 
As far as they can tell, Sanford has not put up any kidnapped babies for adoption besides Stephen Talmadge and Emma. Oh, that's it? Just those two kidnapped yep. children? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's not a bad track record. Yeah. So, but what they, what they do find out is Stanford's scam is that he's triple dipping. He promises one baby to three different families, then tells two of the families that the mother changed her mind and he keeps the money. And that's 30000 a couple. And none of the victims um, of the scam call the cops because they're desperate for a child and they're afraid if, if the word gets out, they'll be blacklisted from adopting through other agencies, which is fucked up. He tells three families they're getting this baby. These people are setting up nurseries mm-hmm. and getting their lives prepared and having baby showers and like doing shit to prepare and then they're told at the last minute that the parent chose to keep the baby when that wasn't true that's gross that's so gross yeah so the, the phone company is getting back to toots with all of sanford's outgoing calls in 89 which is a long time ago i know i How was long to phone records like this is back when they're filing shit in filing cabinets yeah i don't know so craig and hans stabler stack of files to sift through and he's like this is a three-person file sift job and stabler's just like whoa his face munch pipes up and says <laughs> what it was just a weird thing you're just like stabler's just like oh his face <laughs> <laughs> Munch pipes up and says Grievy has a note about Jennifer's college roommate, Rebecca. He was supposed to talk to her in England, but apparently it never happened. Dad sends Munch to track Rebecca down. This chick. Yeah. Do you know who she is? No, but I was I was just like, she did it the whole time. I thought oh, she, it was her. I was fully on board with that. Yeah. I was fully like Mm -hmm. okay guys time to go back and get her yeah but see they twist our twists because Mm -hmm. it's now we're expecting that yeah yeah craigan and munch go to rebecca reader's residence rebecca ritter i don't know john ritter i love john ritter rita i who doesn't yeah there's been a lot of talk about Uh, him lately again and there's gonna be a documentary coming out soon and i really (gasps) really with his son who looks just like him yes so Rebecca I think it's is Rebecca Reader, I think. Rebecca Reader. She played Louise Billings in season one's episode Stalked. Richard White's on again, off again girlfriend who gets murdered, like the No Hard Feelings episode. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. She says that Rebecca and her were close, but like in a college roommate sort of way. She knows of one boyfriend named Rob Cook that broke Jennifer's heart. And Rebecca was like, I always thought he was trouble because I would see him walking with another girl on campus. Rebecca says that Jennifer and Rob went out for like two weeks before he broke up with her. And then I was like, oh my God, this chick is giving me like major suspect vibes. Like she's almost seems yeah. like she's just cold or something or like. I, yeah, I, yeah. it was about this point where I'm like, mm, I don't like you, Rebecca. Yeah. Jennifer knew that Rob had to be the father. She had sent him a letter letting him know that she was pregnant. Yes. And that's it. That's it from this chick. We never see her fucking again. She did hang over us for a while. Yeah. Like you and me. Yeah. I was like. <laughs> and maybe any anybody else who was like is she a suspect i was just waiting for her to for her to come back yeah yeah so robert cook is outside playing catch with his two sons this guy has played seven different characters over the law and order franchise no way he will be back to svu in 2006 he has a ton of credits including boardwalk empire Hmm. but this 2001 version of him is giving me skeet ulrich in the craft vibes. Whoa, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you agree because I was like, I don't feel like this is a stretch. I feel like I'm dead on with that. No, it was. That's good. Because like, I was like, there was some, yeah, no, that's a perfect 
Yeah. Yeah. Cragen and Munch roll up and let him know that they're there with the NYPD. One of the kids is about 12 named Brandon. Cragen wants to know if Robert Cook has this kid's birth certificate. He doesn't. It's with his recent ex-wife who's out of town. And he's like, what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. Munch says he and his son have to come with them. And he's like, what? They tell him it's about Jennifer Talmadge. He's like, okay, but what does that have to do with me? They tell him that her son disappeared and they think he's the father. Mm-hmm. And this guy is like, <laughs> those are my eyes going back and forth. Yeah. Like this guy's like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. So now we're in the, a conference room with Cragen and Robert. He's saying he read about Jennifer Talmadge in the paper, but never once thought that the kid was his. He was in college and him and his girlfriend Linda were on the out. So he was dating Jennifer for like a minute. Yeah. And Cragen says that he's like, oh, having a kid in college would put a big crimp on your future plans. He's like, dude, I broke up with her. I didn't kill her. I didn't even know she was pregnant. I never got a letter from Jennifer. And then I was like, oh my God, the roommate did something. I was thinking this chick, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe like, she loved the him. the roommate intercepted it. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So he's like, I can prove Brandon is my son with my ex-wife. Yeah. Then he leans back and it sort of like washes over him that they really think he killed Jennifer and somehow adopted his own child. You think I killed Jennifer and somehow my ex-wife and I adopted my own son? And we're watching watching going yeah this is insane guy like this is nuts this is a weird (laughs) premise yeah this episode should have been on at noon on a wednesday (laughs) right it should have (laughs) so he says that he broke up with jennifer because his girlfriend linda told him that she was pregnant they got married as soon as the semester was over so i'm like oh my god what's happening just a dramatic series of events this last 30 seconds. Yeah. So Craigan wants DNA from the kid, his ex-wife Linda, and him. And then I was like, oh my god, did Linda kill Jennifer Talent and she took her son so she can get back together with this fucking guy? Oh my god. You know, like just so many possibilities and none of them are too far-fetched. <laughs> right. So now we're in the Emmy office. Munch and Craigan are there as Corner Warner is swapping the kid for DNA. When Linda walks in, she's pissed that any of this is necessary. Linda and Rob are like whisper quarreling her and she's like told him that if he had kept it in his pants this wouldn't be a thing and he's like dude we were fucking in call we were kids and she's like yeah now we're fucking murder suspects so linda's like refusing the dna test and wants her attorney craigan's like yeah your attorney's gonna tell you that if you don't comply we'll get in a court order and you'll be arrested for contempt and so she does it yeah i just imagine being in her shoes and if somebody was like hey maybe you stole jacoby because john got someone else pregnant when y'all were on a break like that's mom shit if that was my kid and they're like you need to prove that this is your kid but you'd do it though right you'd just be like fine whatever right i would do it i wouldn't i wouldn't be cunty to corner warner because she's literally just the person like swabbing your shit yeah fucking karen but i know the lady even said she's like how could you do this whatever and she's like i'm not like the courts are doing it i'm just holding the q-tip she was chill about how shitty that lady was she's like yeah. thank you for your patience she's an exemplary employee i know i fucking love that lady anyway when linda's like bye <laughs> That was for getting her mouth swabbed. Yeah. So now we're in the squad room. Munch tells Craigan that DNA proves that this is not Jennifer Talmadge's son. He's definitely Robin Linda's. And Linda's like, see? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was, I had, I, she's like, let me talk to your manager. And Craigan's like, we don't have a manager. I'm the, I'm the captain of this submarine. (laughs) So Toots pops in and tells Craigan, 
Tupac, Tupac <laughs> pops in. Toots pops in and tells Craig and to look at some papers he found in Sanford's basement. They are Stephen Talmadge's adoption papers signed by Jennifer Talmadge. What <gasps> is happening? What? So now we're back at the Talmadge house. Jennifer's parents do not think it is possible that Jennifer signed Stephen's adoption papers. Mm-hmm. Craig is like, we have these papers. Like, they're signed. Then yeah. they say that Jennifer was going to put her mom up for adoption, but changed her mind. She, like, thought that her parents would be ashamed. And they were like, no, we'll totally support you yeah. and watch Stephen during the day so she could finish college. And then they want to see the papers. And then it turns out it's not Jennifer's signature. They go find Jennifer's passport very quickly, by the way, to right. show the differences. Very quickly. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, I have it right here. I always keep it in my fucking front pocket. <laughs> it's not even close to her signature. Yeah. So this might have something to do with the murder. I'm still thinking it's her college roommate at this point. I put in my notes, do you think this has anything to do with Jennifer's murder? Duh. <laughs> and then I was like, this has college roommate written all over yeah. it. I was so confident. Yeah. Now we're at the jail with Sanford, his lawyer, Cabot, and Craigan. Craigan shows Sanford the adoption papers and passport and is like, here you go. These signatures don't match. We figured that out. Sanford and that he didn't forge any papers or steal any babies or kill anyone. And Cabot's like, you defraud couples desperate for children, you trash monster. Mm-hmm. And she says that she knows when they present his scam in court, a jury will convict him of murder and kidnapping. And it's kind of an intense thing to say, in my opinion. I She's know. basically saying, you're a piece of shit in an unrelated way, so you'll go to prison for murder. And that's how our justice system works, actually. Ooh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cabot says no jail time. He makes restitution to all the couples he's defrauded. And that's it. Craigan walks up into Sanford's face like three inches away from it. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and you give me Stephen Talmadge. Mm-hmm. We feel your passion, Craigan. Okay. That dude can smell your passion. Okay. Yeah. It's on your breath with your coffee. Get out of his mouth. (laughs) So the guy's finally like, okay, this woman came in saying that she was the mom and she had Stephen's original birth certificate. And I didn't know she was an imposter until I saw Jennifer Talmadge's face in the papers. I'm now I'm stuck in a position where I can't risk going to the cops or they're going to find out my scam. So... Yeah, well, yeah, Craigan says that. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you couldn't risk going to the cops. And he was like, "Uh, yeah, you know? Yeah. So Craigan demands to know the family who adopted Stephen. Oh, that I was like, who's the woman? It's the roommate. (laughs) I was thinking the roommate had brought the baby in. Ugh, yeah. We're wrong. We're so wrong. Yeah, yeah. The roommate's like off living her life, being like, oh, that was a weird conversation I had to have with the cops. Hope everything turned out. Meanwhile, I'm like, burn the bitch. (laughs) Right. And we could be on a jury. (laughs) We could be on a jury. And we're convinced with the limited knowledge that we have. We're like, I don't know very much, but I do watch a lot of police procedurals. So... So now we're at the Blake's residence. Craigan and Munch can see these three boys through the window in the front door. It's high fives and baseball fantasy talk. These kids just finished watching The Sandlot. They're all going to go play catch at the dump and have a tree fort sleepover. Mm-hmm. Befriend a scary dog. All that stuff. Yeah. Darth um, Vader's the there. Because for- <laughs> he was the voice. James Earl Jones. <laughs> oh, James Earl Jones. Yeah. yeah. Darth Vader's there. The kid calls for his mom to come talk to them because they're just like standing I- on the other side of the screen door. I just like how confident he was. He looks out he's like we don't want any he's like 12 oh, and they're like dude all these fucking... kids were fucking pricks yeah the little, they're probably those little fuckers that like told me i should wear makeup in like seventh grade and i was like what oh, you know fuck those kids i know all kids <laughs> gabe's like finally yeah Tasha. kevin barnes you fucker <laughs> 
Kevin Barnes. You're not just one barn. You're a couple. You fuck. <laughs> so this kid calls for his mom to come talk to them. And she invites Craig and Munch in and sends the boys outside. And this curly headed fuck is on his way outside. Like not not the kid, but one of his buddies. Mm-hmm. They're on his, their way outside. And he stops and looks at Craig and goes, hey, you guys looking for Tyler? Because the way he played second base was a crime. Ooh. And I'm like flashes of Munch. <laughs> and as he's walking out, Munch was like, that's a good one. <laughs> He didn't say that. He just eyeballed him. Yeah. So Craigan gives this lady the lowdown. She did adopt Tyler from Sanford. She's understandably upset and sits down at the kitchen table. Like she's in the middle of finding out that her son was actually kidnapped. Mm -hmm. They tell her that they need a DNA test. She's like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to tell my husband or how I'm going to tell Tyler. But cut to a different camera angle and you see Tyler hiding behind the door listening and like really upset. Craigan tells her that they know she didn't do anything wrong. He's been missing for 12 years Mm -hmm. i cannot even imagine i can't imagine what the adoptive mother is going through i'm mad the rest of this episode yeah i'm just angry at fucking nearly everyone yeah not this lady no so she calls for tyler and he comes in and he says that he's not leaving he doesn't want to leave he wants to stay with his mom and dad and she tells him to go upstairs and get changed and that they'll go together yeah craig is like you're not in any trouble like you're good yeah the kid and his mom hug super hard and tears just run down both their faces i can see where this is going already and it makes me absolutely sick i know i kept checking the time and i was like we have a like this is a lot of time left for svu like a Mm. lot is gonna happen and i don't think it's gonna be good we're at the precinct craig and rob remember he's the dude that dated steven talmage's mom and got her pregnant are in craig and's (laughs) mudroom looking through the glass And you can see Munch's fat, stupid fucking head playing chess with Steven. He didn't get a fucking thing of checkers. He had to fucking flex. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> he brought the little timer box thing in there, too. Like, Steven's like, what? <laughs> so the DNA is conclusive. Tyler is Steven Talmadge. And he is Rob's biological son. Steven had been kidnapped and sold to Stanford to adopt out. So Rob is obviously shook. He's like, he doesn't know how or when to talk to Steven. He wants to know if he's been raised well, which he has. Rob says he's Steven's father and he never would have abandoned him and that he belongs with him. And this is where I was like, oh my God, there's 14 minutes left in the episode. Mm -hmm. This is where it gets super sticky. Because even Cragen made a face like, right you want to sympathize with the birth parent and whatever but like blood and dna does not a parental relationship make this is not in the kid's best interest this is fucking selfish right okay the situation is awful but you can't be serious about taking him away from the only family he's ever known Mm -hmm. you know the kid's 12 years old he should be able to make his own choice they can work out visitation and shit and integrate into each other's lives like i already have a plan here yeah for you guys this is real dicey we're in the squad room tyler aka steven aka steven tyler i know from aerosmith i start calling him tyler steven because i was like i'm not doing i'm not saying steven tyler Um, (laughs) don't want to close my eyes oh you did that on purpose because you did see that yeah of course Okay, good. Because I saw it and I'm like, how does she keep typing Tyler Steven and not seeing Steven Tyler? <laughs> They're talking. Steven Tyler's sitting there with like a bunch of scarves tied all over everything. Everybody's like, who's this old grandma? <laughs> Tyler, a.k.a. Stevens, adopted parents are talking to Craig and they don't want him taken away, obviously. Even though Sanford told them that it, that it was legal, it wasn't and Rob had never consented to the adoption, which makes it invalid. So the mom is yelling at Craig and she's like, you were a happy family until you came along. And uh, this is hard. Um, wouldn't it be funny if Craig was telling them like, hey, uh, this guy wants his kid back. And they were like, oh, thank God. <laughs> 
12 years of this is enough <laughs> yeah craig and cabot are doing a little walk and talk craig makes that solemn bible reference about you know we can't split the child cabot mm-hmm. can't do you remember that fucking bible story that was fucked a hundred million Ugh. trillion percent yeah now like we can tell as we can tell, it, tell like, it shouldn't go to the adopted mom because she's cool with cutting him in half i'm like what <laughs> That's not, yeah. yeah. I get that it's like, it's a metaphor, but... I know. But is it? I mean... Is it a metaphor or did it really happen? That really happened. Mm. And King Solomon (laughs) knew his shit. And he knew (laughs) not to give it to that one. He knew. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Which part do you want? The legs or the arms? (laughs) Top or bottom? So, Cabot. White meat or dark meat? Stop it. <laughs> I'm a leg guy myself. Oh my God. Cabot thinks that he's going to have to stay at the Late Street shelter. Craigan doesn't want to do that when his grandparents have a right to guardianship. Cabot starts saying something about how the law and Craigan has the absolute fucking nuts to tell her to forget the law. It's like, they always fucking mm. do this in the episode. They're like, come on. And she's like, oh my God, I'm here for this part. Like, I do the law stuff. I help you guys get shit through the law. Please. Yeah. Yes. She's pretty much like, fucking shut up. This is what's best for him. He's with everybody wanting a piece of him. He's best in somewhere neutral. Right. And Craigan tries arguing what's in the best interest for Tyler. Um, I would say being with the only family he's ever known for his entire life. And then I'm like, where the fuck is Huang? Yeah. Like, shouldn't the resident psychologist be dealing with this shit? This is all mental fuck shit. He's like, Jesus Christ, I wanted one long weekend and you guys are screaming (laughs) that I'm not there. Do the right thing. No, this is the wrong thing. Yeah. All right, go. Just then Tyler Stevens' grandparents show up. The Talmages. So we're in Kragan's office. (laughs) (laughs) They're pissed because they can't take Tyler Steven. He's their grandson and their daughter was murdered. But Kragan's hands are tied unless a judge says he can release him to them and that they can apply for temporary custody. I almost said crustity. (laughs) They can apply for a temporary custody. And then Kragan's like, just so you know, I think Tyler Stevens' biological father, Rob, is going to claim his parental rights. So they accuse him of giving them their hope back and taking it away. And they're like yelling at him. He's got the fucking adopted parents yelling at him. He's got the Talmadge's yelling at him. I mean, it's not his fault. And they're hurting. So it's like everybody's fucking hurt in this situation. Yeah. So Kragan and Tyler Steven are having a little walk and talk at a park. Shouldn't the fucking mental health professional be having this and talk this kid is with a 12 year old very chill yeah steven tyler's like a reasonable 50 year old man in this scene. Yes. In, in all of it he's even wearing those cargo pants that zip off in is his he? shorts do you see that <laughs> yes he's he's like hey son what's gonna happen to me <laughs> he tosses craig in a baseball and he's like go long buddy wait no that's two different sports <laughs> you got a good arm kid am i going to a foster home or what <laughs> So, yeah, Tyler Steven wants to know what's going to happen to him. Kragan's like, you'll probably have to go to a temporary home till the judge decides. And he's just like, I really want to go home with my fucking parents. You know, the ones that I've had forever. The people I was raised by. But Kragan tells him there's not much he can do because the adoption wasn't legal. This is a lot of info for this fucking kid, you know? Yeah. So Kragan tells him, he's like, I know your parents love you. I'm really sorry this is happening. He's like, but it's my job. Which is hard to explain to a kid in this situation. Right. And he's like, it's also my job to protect you. So I'm going to do what I can. 
again. He tells him that his biological grandparents want to meet him. And then I'm like, man, you're going to fucking just jump even more on this kid. Like, what has it been? Yeah. Like 10 hours? Eight, maybe? Less? <laughs> well, obviously less because he hasn't gone anywhere yet. This happened today. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know? <laughs> yeah. We're in the precinct conference room. Craig brings him to meet his grandparents. He's like outside the door with Craig and he's like, do I have to hug him? And he's like, yeah, you just do whatever you feel. So he walks in and they stand up and they're crying and they're like, Steven? And he's like, my name is Tyler. And they're like, nice to meet you, Tyler. And he's like, please don't cry. Why is this child holding everything and everyone together? I don't know. The last day of his life has been the most damaging day he's ever had. And he was kidnapped. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's like, this feels just like when I lost that grounder on shortstop. <laughs> His young munch fucking buddy comes in and he's like, yeah, you still suck at baseball, Tyler. <laughs> oh, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> you suck. Now we're in Craigan's office. This is hard for him. He's having a really hard time. Cabot knocks on the door. She like assures him he was do- just doing his job. She gets it because she's always just doing her job and getting yelled at for shit. Yeah. He says now the boy is the victim and he doesn't know how to fix it. She offers help and he's like, oh my God, anything. I'm so down for some help <laughs> from you. I mean, I'm annoyed with him still, but I'm glad he finally gets yeah. it. So she says that Tyler Steven is going to need a law guardian for the adoption hearing. And there's a big backlog on court appointed attorneys. So she's going to volunteer. And while the law favors the biological parents, the law also says that Tyler Stephen is old enough to make his own decision. And since she'll be his attorney, she has to fight for what he wants. And he wants to live with people that raised him. But you know what's funny, Tasha? What? Not once in the future in any of these court things did she talk about him being the right age to make the decision or whatever. That wasn't even brought up one time. Mm Mm-hmm. So now we're in family court. Quan got back from his sabbatical or wherever the fuck he was and is on the stand saying how articulate and intelligent Tyler Steven is. And he believes that he can make this decision. Tyler seems well adjusted and his adoptive parents are good. Being taken from them would be a sudden traumatic loss and will cause him damage. He doesn't recommend him going to his biological father. It would be too big of a transition when he's the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And then the adoptive mom is then on the stand showing pics of Tyler Steven. She's going on about how much they love him and their happy life. They didn't know that the adoption wasn't legal and that Tyler Steven's biological mother was murdered. They're terrified of losing Tyler. She asked them not to punish her family for someone else's crimes. Mm-hmm. So now there's a cross-examination by Rob's robot lawyer. I'm sorry for the tragedy that you and your husband are going through right now. <laughs> I'm sorry for the tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for the tragedy. (laughs) You've done a great job raising him. (laughs) You also have a great rack. (laughs) Remember, I'm horny. (laughs) All right, let's go. (laughs) You guys didn't talk about me for a while, so I went and got my law degree. (laughs) I traveled through time. And got on SVU. (laughs) Are you not impressed? (laughs) Do I not entertain you? (laughs) All right, go. When did that movie come out? Around okay. He says that they did a great job. (laughs) You can't. You're like. He says. I just had like a whole. It was like you know when you're when you're falling, you're plummeting to your death. (laughs) 
and your life flashes before your eyes. You were like, we need to move on. But you had said that gladiator quote. And then my head went to like the robot <laughs> going back in time and going to law school. But the gladiator came out in the late 90s. So he was like watching that in his <laughs> dorm at night. <laughs> <laughs> it all led to this moment <laughs> sorry uh, okay he accomplishes everything he needs to accomplish and just starts shaking and explodes <laughs> i love you all <laughs> and then he crumbles down and somehow falls into a lava pit and then gives a thumbs up as he <laughs> sinks into the lava and we're all just like thank you for everything you've done <laughs> i still want to fuck that light socket <laughs> Okay, God, he says that they did a great job raising him, but if she lost a child and a nice family raised that child, then she found out where the child was, wouldn't she want him back? And she's like, I mean, yeah. She's like, yeah, I would. Doesn't mean that she, yeah. wanting something and doing what's in the best interest of the child are two different things. Yeah. Like there should be a fucking, at least an easing into moving out of the house. Or something. Oh, I mean, Jesus. Can't you be a weekend dad? Like, there's a lot of dads that are weekend dads. You're divorced. You're probably a weekend dad right now. Yeah. Jesus Christ, Rob. So Rob is on the stand now, and he says he wasn't there to give Tyler Stephen the love and attention. His adoptive parents did, but he was robbed of the chance. And now he wants it? It's like, fuck you. I mean, I get it, this but like... Anyways, he says he can provide and has two other sons, one Tyler Stephen's age. Come to my house. You'll have friends. And it's like... He's like, I have like, friends. And those kids in the back are like, yeah, we're dicks, but we're friends. <laughs> and it's like, well, where's Linda? Does she see them most of the time? Like, are, are, you know what I mean? Like, why do you mm -hmm. think would Steve and Tyler be going there to Linda's? I mean, what? Yeah. Would he be living with you full time? Like, what's the situation? You're, you're, because he made it sound like his kids live with him full time. Because he's like, I'm a single dad. And you're like, right. Yeah, on the weekend or what? Is the robot going to be sold off for parts? I mean, we need yeah. answers. So Cabot asked if he thinks he's the best choice for Tyler Steven and Rob says he wishes it were different but Tyler Steven is his flesh and blood and he thinks that the adoptive parents have done just as good a job as he would have he doesn't feel good about putting them through this and he was like if my two sons had been given to their mother full time it would have crushed me so he apologizes mm -hmm. to the adoptive families acting like he can fucking relate in any way whatever right but it's also like you were there when your two when your two other sons were growing up you just found out that Tyler exists I know this is fucking ouchie. So now we're in Craigan's office. Cabot's saying this shit is like ripping her guts out. All the people involved are like decent people. Benson pops in and says that they're finished talking to the birth mothers who gave their babies to Sanford. All of them are legit. But Rob's ex-wife, Linda, gave birth at the same hospital a month before Jennifer Talmadge gave birth. Linda's hospital roommate was a client of Sanford's. Benson says that he recommended Sanford to Linda. So they compared Linda Cook's signature to her release form for the DNA swab and Jennifer Talmadge's signature on the adoption papers. Oh, shit. They're a fucking exact match. Craigan's like, what? bring that fucking bitch in. End quote. That stupid, dumb Linda bitch. <laughs> Linda! Corner Warner's like, I knew she was a bitch. <laughs> so we're in the interrogation room. Linda's in there. It's Craigan. She's like, me and Robert are divorced. It's like, whether he keeps his love child isn't my concern. It's like, mm. first of all, you guys were in fucking, oh, God, whatever. Craigan tells her that 12 years ago, Jennifer sent a letter to Rob saying that she was pregnant, but he never got it. Craigan says he believes she intercepted it. And that's how mm -hmm. she found out about Jennifer. Craigan asked why she asked her hospital roomie who her adoption attorney was. 
And she's like, I knew Rob was fooling around on me. You know, she was thinking about giving up her baby for adoption, but she didn't know that Rob was going to ask her to marry him, which is a whole nother thing. I know. Whatever. If we weren't already like two and a half hours into recording, just two yeah. hours. But yeah. Craigan's like, yeah. So he, when he did propose, it would be better for everyone if he never knew that he had a love child with Jennifer. She's like, no. <laughs> He's like, bitch, your signature matches the adoption papers and your DNA consent form. Music gets all fucking swelly. And Linda's voice is an octave higher. And she's like, where are you getting this from? (laughs) Yeah. This is a crazy concoction. He tells her to. (laughs) 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 She turns into Beaker. Her hair is all like. (laughs) He tells her she's got the letter. She went to go see Jennifer. Something happens. She's dead and she's got to find a new place for Jennifer's baby. So she impersonates Jennifer and gives Stephen to Sanford for adoption. Craig says, just tell me you didn't plan to kill her and I can help you out. And there's a long silence and she's like, I want my lawyer. And I was like, oh shit, it was Linda. Not the... And I know the implication is like, obviously she's guilty, but I would also ask for a lawyer in this situation. Right. They didn't... Even if I was innocent, I'd be like, yeah, I'm I'm going to need a tie. They didn't tie that part up at the end where... So I guess now yeah. he does have his kids full time. <laughs> Rob. <laughs> yeah, okay. I know, Rob. So we're in family court and judge is saying that. <laughs> Rob. Right. So we're in family court. Judge is saying that usually the kids that come through are unwanted or unloved. In this case is particularly hard because everyone wants and loves Tyler Stephen. But the law recognizes the biological parent as paramount if they are fit. Right. And I was like, oh, my God. So Rob is happy, but the adoptive parents are sobbing. And so is Tyler Stephen. And he jumps out of the chair and runs to his adoptive parents and is hugging them. And they're all like crying and staring at Rob. You know, then they're outside of the court. Craigan's like, they're all talking and that's good. Craigan and the boy lock eyes as Craigan walks away. Like a fucking single tear went down his cheek. And I hate this fucking one so much. I'm so fucking I know. I hate this whole thing. This is the worst thing for Tyler. Hated it. Hated it. But Rob's not the villain, but he's not the best. Mm-mm. It reads very, this is mine to me. It, exactly. Which yeah. I don't like. Yeah. I don't know. It's just stupid. Ridiculous. It's stupid. Hated it. Want to hear another stupid story? Oh, yeah, please. Okay. So this is a story within a story, Mm-mm. but it's. Isn't that what a chaser is? Well, well then it's. <laughs> Gabe lifted her hands up in like an evil scientist laugh when she did that. Okay. Alma Sippel was in her early 20s in the spring of 1946. She was living in Memphis, Tennessee with her two-year-old son, Robert, and her not yet one-year-old daughter, Irma. Her boyfriend, Julius Talos, was in the Air Force and stationed in Panama. All these names are amazing, but go ahead. (laughs) I mean, it's very 1940s. Yeah. They didn't have much. Alma had her two children in a tiny one-room apartment and was scraping by while Julius was shipped out. They were planning on getting married. Her son was from a previous relationship. Relationship. The baby was new and was the first for um, Julius and Alma. About a month and a half into living in her new place, Alma met a woman from the Tennessee Children's Home Society who rolled up in a big black limo and introduced herself as Georgia Tan. 
This woman was a stern-faced, no-nonsense lady. She had these little rimless glasses, little round glasses. This woman had a reputation for being the best when it came to placing children with adoptive families, but that's not why she was there. She had been to Alma's building on a call about a child in an abusive home the day before and noticed that Irma was sick with a runny nose when she saw her. Georgia graciously offered to take little Irma to Memphis General Hospital. Um, Alma couldn't afford to take her, so when Georgia offered to do this so that Alma didn't need to be charged for it. She was really grateful for the help, even though she didn't feel completely settled on the idea of Irma being taken without her. But Georgia was like, if you go with, then they're going to know that you're her mom and they're, you know, they're going to want to charge you for the services and blah, blah, blah. Just, I do this all the time. Two days later, Alma received a phone call from Georgia that Irma had died of pneumonia at the hospital. After that phone call, Alma spiraled and was given no direction and no answers. Like Georgia stopped taking her phone calls. She was like, I, I want her back. And she was like, oh, they take care of the remains and all of that. Wait, how old was Irma again? She was under a year. Okay. Yeah. She was a baby. It completely destroyed Alma's relationship. Irma's father absolutely adored her and it crushed him to find out that his daughter had passed away and it also drove alma into a deep hole of drinking and depression alma never stopped searching for answers and kept running into mysterious circumstances like there was no burial there was no record of irma's death or a death certificate cut to 1989 it's 45 years later alma's just hanging out with her husband steve watching a december episode of unsolved mysteries and who does she see fucking georgia tan the most notorious black market selling baby thief to ever exist oh my god and alma screamed that's the woman who took irma wait oh her and julius must have gotten divorced okay oh they ended up not they ended up not even getting married okay it was just yeah okay it, it really like he was stationed far away and they and they tried to continue like their correspondence but she was like it just crushed him so much it devastated yeah. him so much that their relationship didn't survive it mm. and then she had gotten married to a different dude and then divorced and steven i think steven was her third marriage because she had been married prior to julius it was none of that matters Georgia Tan was born on July 18th, 1891 in Philadelphia, Mississippi to Judge George Clark Tan and Beulah Yates, who was a school teacher. Beulah. (laughs) Beulah. Sounds like a Boston person calling for Bueller. (laughs) Beulah. All right. Georgia's given name was Beulah George Tan. And I never understood people doing that. Like Jamie Lynn Spears shit right yeah anyway she went by georgia she was the firstborn and had a little brother rob roy (laughs) jesus i know these names are fucking it's a time period that is calling my name it's not calling my name because my name wasn't around then (laughs) tasha Uh, tasha tasha let's do the twist (laughs) i don't know (laughs) come on tasha Okay, Georgia graduated from Martha Washington College in 1913 with a degree in music. She had been put into pretty intensive piano lessons starting at five. Her dad was really strict, really hardcore. But then after she graduated from college, her dad taught her how to read law. At the time, there wasn't college for lawyers. Like you didn't go to law school. It was legitimately an apprenticeship under an existing lawyer who then would teach you how to read law. 
Whoa. Because like legal jargon is its own language pretty much, mm-hmm. you know? And then you just go and take the bar exam. Georgia crushed the bar exam, but then her dad had second thoughts about her practicing law because she was a lady and it was the early 1900s. It just isn't done. <sighs> So instead of defying her dad, like she was had a lot of respect for him and listened to him more than anybody. Instead of doing that, she went to the next best lady job, which was social work. She initially started her social work career in Texas, but left after a hot minute. She went to work at the Mississippi Home Society at the Receiving Home for Children in 1922. She adopted her daughter June from there. Also at this place, Georgia met Anne Atwood. Up until this point, Georgia had been single and showed no interest in getting married, which is like spinster status for the time. At 20, you're like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And she, I mean, at this point, she was like 30 something. So Georgia and Anne spent their life together. And at one point in 1943, Georgia actually adopted Anne so that they could have familial rights, like she could get her inheritance and everything, since not only a relationship between them was scandalous, but a marriage would not be recognized or legally binding for 90 years. Mm. I was just doing the like LGBTQA rights math and was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So Anne at one point early on had gotten pregnant and gave birth to son Jack as well. And at this time she added Hollinsworth to her last name. It's thought that she did that to give the impression that she had been widowed as opposed to the salacious alternative that she fucked a dude so that they could have another kid. Mm hmm. Or maybe she was bi, like who fucking knows. So two years into her career in 1924, Georgia was asked to leave the Mississippi Home Society because she had very questionable ideals when it came to placing children. Georgia was of the opinion that one needed to be white with blue eyes and have a certain social standing to be wealthy. Uh, Mm -hmm. And like Hitler, eugenics made sense to her. Right. Georgia and Anne then moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Georgia was hired as the executive secretary of the Shelby County branch of the Tennessee Children's Home Society Adoption. What? (laughs) Oh, I don't even know. I have. Okay, this is what I have in my notes. The secretary of the Shelby County branch of the Tennessee Children's Home Society Adoption Society. (laughs) <laughs> the the uh, TMG all day DAS. <laughs> anyway, it's it's a te- the Tennessee Children's Home. Tan quickly and aggressively took over as head of the organization in 1929, and this is where our knowledge of her child trafficking begins. Not to say mm. that she wasn't pulling shit before this, because she got fired for a reason. She was like, did not have a soul when it came to kids at all. It was in the late 20s that adoption really became popularized so the demand for babies had largely increased. And there were some laws in place regarding adoption agencies and services at this time. Like in the state of Tennessee, agencies were only allowed to charge for their services. So at this time, an in-state adoption cost $7. And in Georgia's case, there were only a few children that she had adopted out that stayed in the state of Tennessee. The rest were out of state, the majority being to California and New York, she did these private adoptions and charged a substantial fee of like 700, 750 bucks. In the 20s. In the 20s. I, I didn't do the math on what that is now. I'm, I'm, but I was wondering what the $7 was. Well, a couple hundred bucks. It, it doesn't matter. Okay. But the like the 7, 750, it, it's in the tens of thousands. A check would be written out to Georgia herself and she would pocket 80 to 90% of it. A big target of hers were the rich and famous. The most notable name that we would know who adopted from Tan was Joan Crawford in 1947. She adopted her twins, Kathy and Cindy, not mommy dearest Christina. She had been adopted with her brother prior, but mm-hmm. the youngest were from Tan. So 
For over 20 years, one way or another, Georgia Tan would go on to obtain babies and very young children in so many ways. She would Mm. pose as an official in hospitals and get half-sedated moms to sign over their newborns to her. Oh my God. She would steal babies from hospitals and tell the new mothers the babies had died or were stillborn. Mm. She had all kinds of people working for her. She had nurses that would do this because she, she had all these people in her pocket. Yeah. She would drive around impoverished neighborhoods and offer little kids rides in her big black limo. Like she was known for this big black limo. Wow. She would bribe and threaten other mothers preying on the young, unwed and poor. Georgia's system of people that she paid off included social workers, cops, doctors, lawyers. Some even did the kidnapping for her. She buddied up with the mayor of Memphis, E.H. Boss Crump, which sounds like a corrupt guy. Officer Crumpy. <laughs> Crump you. <laughs> Um, As well as Memphis juvenile court judge Camille Kelly, who would use her legal power to uphold what Georgia would bring before her, as well as deny what frantic mothers who had lost their children to Georgia would bring before her. So like Georgia would falsify documents and shit. You know, the mom would be say she had to go to work or she was sick and the kids were outside, Georgia would kidnap them and then have this paperwork that the mother was unfit, bring it before this particular judge. And the judge would be like, Georgia gets these kids now. It seems completely impossible. Yeah. Years later, in an interview with 60 Minutes, investigator Robert Taylor had this to say about Tan and Kelly's operation. Quote, she had a stooge down in the welfare department. When someone would apply for assistance, this person would get their name and get in touch with Camille Kelly. Camille Kelly would send a deputy out to pick them up and award custody to Georgia Tan. Oddly enough, Judge Kelly seemed to live beyond what her means would imply. So, I mean... Yeah. Nothing was ever proven against Judge Kelly, but she had a lot of money somehow. Not only did Georgia have officials helping in her operation, but she was also helping pass legislation that would help in hiding where she was getting these children from. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus Christ. The adoption boom was like happening in this time. And some of these things were beneficial, but benefited her in a shitty way. Right. In like a way that she could hide things. But some of her stuff was beneficial in a positive way. For ki- um, for some kids that actually needed homes. For, yes. Yes. So some of her work is still used in closed adoption law today. Wow. And there wasn't a whole lot of adoption regulation at the time. So she was able to not only take advantage of the families she tore apart, but also the families she adopted children to. Like if parents asked too many questions, she would leverage removal of the child. She would repossess children if payments were delayed as if they were a fucking car. Wow. There were times that she even went back to families months after the adoption and say that the birth families were attempting to fight for the child's return. And she'd be like, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money, but myself and my lawyers can make it go away if you want. Mm-hmm. This None of it was true. She was just like extorting them for more money. Oh, my God. This lady is fucking evil. She is Evil, beyond evil. If stealing children and babies from families who wanted them wasn't enough, Georgia treated the children as commodities. They were kept in terrible conditions, physically and sexually abused, denied medical care, and allowed to die of easily resolvable things like diarrhea, sold to pedophiles, sold as indentured servants, like they were sold as farmhands, like the kids that were a little bit older, and many were sexually abused by Tan herself. What? 
Yes. She actually hired on like drug addicts and, and untreated mentally ill people to make sure the kids didn't escape. Yeah. Yeah. They, and weren't, to, they were just like you know, guards for her. Yeah. I mean, she was like drugging babies so that they weren't a bother until, you know, she got them sold. Georgia would even take days old children from hospitals against the advice of the doctors um, only to have these children die a short time later. It was estimated that Georgia Tan illegally procured and adopted out upwards of 5,000 infants <gasps> and children. Oh my God. For a large profit with an estimated 500 or more dying of mistreatment while in her care. So much so that the infant mortality rate in Memphis was the highest in the country in a large part because of this woman. I can't even. I know. I know. It's there's just story after story. When you single handedly make an entire city's infant mortality rate like the highest in the country. In 1945, there was a dysentery outbreak, and because of the lack of care and neglect in the children's home, 40 or 50 children died in a matter of four months as a result. Like, dysentery is contagious. She would have multiple kids in one crib. There'd be like seven babies in a crib, and one would be sick, and then they would all get sick, and they would all die. The lucky ones, if you can call them that, were sold to wealthy parents. Also, this is just like an aside. Pro wrestler Ric Flair was one of her kids that she had adopted out no way i just read it somewhere and was like it doesn't fit anywhere but i still wanted to tell you <laughs> yeah georgia even toured the country giving lectures that adopted children turned out better because poor children could be remade into a quote higher type uh which kind of all falls in line with the eugenics shit she was very popular in the world of adoption she had ads in the paper with photos of babies with ad titles like they'd like to be your christmas gift like selling in the paper shit like that jesus she did a fucking giveaway raffle every year no like she would give away 20 to 30 babies in a raffle and oh. you could i think it was like equivalent of like 350 dollars to enter the raffle and she'd make all this money and then people would like win a baby it's how how was this legal i have no idea I that's have, insane I, that's there were regulations insane. on it you know, I thought you were going to say she did this and this also isn't OK, but I thought you were going to say she did raffles uh, every, every year for a baby, not 20 to 30. That's fucked. I mean, it's all fucked, but you know what I mean? She's really popular and like well known. Like she's she's advising. Who was it? Eleanor Roosevelt. Like she's like having talks about like this is really important to get these kids into good homes and da da da. She didn't vet anybody. Mm -hmm. She was just selling babies and some young kids like she would. I mean, there were preteens sold to like single adult men, you know, like shit like that. Mm -hmm. So as her popularity grew, demand went up. The adoption boom was like big at this time. People wanted babies. She made an estimated million plus dollars, which That's is like 1920s 30s 40s money this is something i did look up to give you an idea a million dollars in 1940s money is nearly 20 million dollars today holy shit there's so many stories of survivors that would break your heart that i read and that i hate oh, i can't remember the name of the book there was a book written i'm gonna look into there, it. there's a few books written um about the case but there was one where somebody focused on the stories of the survivors oh fuck i'm gonna have to i'll put it in the show notes i'll find it and i'll put it in the notes but First, let's get through all of these absolutely awful years of horror and devastation and make our way to September 11th, 1950. 
By mm-hmm. this point, Georgia was on officials' radar, the ones who weren't in her pocket anyway. Yeah. The governor of Tennessee, Gordon Browning, received reports that Georgia's agency was selling children for profit and was like, shit, y'all, we need to launch an investigation. Mm-hmm. Memphis attorney Robert Taylor had been sniffing around for about a year and had found horrific conditions. And about those, he had said this, quote, we found that on many occasions, babies had been taken only a few hours old and placed in nursing homes in and about Memphis where they were without medical care. Children placed in the Memphis home itself were not properly cared for. And many children died while there as a direct result of violations of physicians orders. Mm-hmm. Three days before the state was set to file charges against the society, Georgia Tan fucking died of uterine cancer. Oh my God. September 15th, like um, like right after they were like, we should do something probably. Mm-hmm. She's dead. She never was prosecuted and never saw punishment for her crimes. That's fucking insane. It's insane. They closed the home for good in December of 1950. Judge Kelly was never found of having received bribes for her part in the ring. Um, Like I had said before, she retired not long after the investigation started. And then that bitch died in 1955. With a ton of money. Yeah. So Alma Sippel is sitting in her living room watching Unsolved Mysteries. Okay. In the 80s, right? In in 1989. She's like, ah, it's that dumb bitch. On the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, the host encouraged viewers who may be searching for their birth parents to contact 10 Tennessee's right to know. <gasps> Through a series of actions taken by Alma with the help of the organization, they found Irma. No way. She, mm-hmm. she was now Sandra Kimball, a registered nurse married and living in Cincinnati. She had two adult children of her own and was living a very comfortable life. Sandra was one of the lucky ones. She had been adopted by loving parents that doted on her and supported her dreams. Sandra always thought she was unplanned, which was a blessing for her adoptive parents who were both gone by the time Alma reached out. Imagine your birth mom calling you and telling you you were stolen from her and sold on the black market and she's been agonizing over that loss her entire life oh meanwhile you have zero clue and are getting like horseback riding lessons and shit Mm -hmm. Mm. alma was one of over 600 people who called into that episode of unsolved mysteries immediately following it airing alma finally had closure the two talked on the phone sent videos this was 1990 at this point so they were like sitting in their kitchens on a stool next to their house phone you know so they they weren't like facetiming or whatever Yeah. When interviewed upon connecting after 44 years, Alma said this, quote, I feel whole. Ever since Irma was taken from me, I felt something was missing. The Bible says you're not supposed to hate anybody, but I'll tell you, if that woman was still living, all those people she did this to, all the suffering she caused for money, and she couldn't take a dime of it with her. Mm. And that's, I mean, this is her in like a nice lady saying that she fucking hates her. Yeah. But it's like, she did all of this and the woman's dead. She's dead and, and has nothing, left with nothing except for like just a wake of abuse and broken families and people devastated. So Irma and Alma did get to meet, but that relationship was never able to really develop into something deeper. Yeah. I mean, Irma was like in her forties, Ir- right? 45 Irma or was Sandy. And she was yeah. raised by a nice family. Like she had her parents. Yeah. I think that they tried because this article that I read was from 1990 and then I couldn't find anything else about the two of them. I found like a tiny little thing years later and then I found Alma's obituary and it listed Sandy as one of her children. Mm-hmm. I, I also read that they didn't, they weren't able to develop like, you know, the relationship that 
was lost because of yeah. Georgia. And there's a ton of stories like this. And there's some that are so much worse. Stories of survivors, um, stories of kids that remember Georgia, kids that remember being taken by her, remember riding in her limo mm -hmm. away from their homes forever like being told that their parents were dead mm. just so fucked up so i took the one story i could find with the happiest ending because we never get to do that yeah this still sucks and is awful and the story's awful but i'm just like i want like a tiny little yeah at the very least alma got to have closure and got to hear that like she missed out and has that empty space where her daughter was but she knows her daughter's okay and she knows where she is and like yeah, yeah. and maybe they like talked here here and there or whatever but i don't know but when alma found out she was being interviewed about finding irma slash sandy and she was like trying to track down irma's dad because she's like he would be overjoyed to know that she's alive because mm -hmm. remember Julius, they i mean yeah. they lost touch it was 1940 something yeah you're not gonna be able to get back in touch with somebody in 1990 after 1940 you know yeah She's not going to be like, I'm going to search his name on Facebook. Yeah, I don't even know what people did before that. They just I wished, know. They just wished that it happened and then yeah, maybe it would, you know? Right, exactly. That's it. Georgia Tan. Never heard of her. Never I heard of it. I hadn't either. I hadn't either. I can't believe I'd never heard of her because there was a ton. There's, you know, books and movies made about it and all kinds of shit. No way. There's an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that brought families together. Anyway. Unsolved Mysteries. So. Is that the theme song for it? It was always the way scary. You're doing it, the way you're doing it sounds... Oh, you're you're no. doing it really upbeat. Like unsolved mysteries, unsolved mysteries. We want to solve them. Hold on. Well, fuck, the, this entire episode was a fucking bummer. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my little, like, fluffy bang. Yeah. <laughs> KJTT. Yeah. <laughs> All right. right well, what's next week? Oh, so next week we have season three, episode four, Rooftop. Toots becomes personally involved in a case when a friend's daughter becomes a fatal victim of sexual assault. Now it's time for Toots to get personal. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to go jump off a roof. Love you. Bye. Wait, we got to say our stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but also, no, don't. Um, <laughs> Wait, before you jump off a roof, say the things. <laughs> Follow us on all social media at SVUPod. Check out our website, SVUPod.com. We've got merch on there. Email us at SVUPod at gmail.com. Check out our Patreon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Patreon, super extra special <laughs> thanks to our Elite Squad patrons. Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, and Nikki B. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you guys so, so much for being Elite Squad patrons and supporting the podcast. Uh, if you want more of our friendship, more of our garbage cookies, and more of our friendship boat, <laughs> sail on over to Patreon. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're like new at the Patreon stuff, so we're just figuring things out. and We are just going to throw on some new episodes, all kinds. There's different tiers or whatever, so check it out. <laughs> 
if you are a smaller podcast, hashtag little bit loud, because we are a little network of pods that are supporting each other. Yeah. There's a new one. It's called Plug It Up. Ooh, what's that about? <laughs> spooky friends. Caitlin Grant from Bloody Good Horror here. You know how in the movie Carrie, she gets her first period and by the end of the movie, she's telekinetically killing people at prom? (laughs) Or how about Ginger Snaps when Ginger gets her first period and subsequently becomes a werewolf? That's called the monstrous menstruation trope and I'll be unpacking it on my new horror podcast, Plug It Up. Join me and some familiar voices as we look at coming of age movies in the horror genre. We've got Carrie, we've got Ginger Snaps, we've got The Witch. We've got lots of great and some not so great movies to cover. Check out season one of Plug It Up coming soon. Find us at Plug It Up Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Spooky bleeding. If it's leaking, you Fucking cute! You downloaded it? it? Oh yeah, I'm I'm all over that shit. That screams, Gabe. Mm -hmm. Thanks for hashtagging a little bit loud and keep it up and let's keep this little network going. It's great. I don't know if I would have ever been able to run across that. No, I never would have. And I, I'm always trying to find shit like that and I never find anything. And I'm that's why I just listen to like nothing, like ghost stuff. That (laughs) that's why I just listen to. That's why I just sit in a room quietly (laughs) and stare at the wall until the dark comes. <laughs> All right, that's it. We're done. Yeah. Love you. Bye. Love you, bye. I have to take um, my pills. In 1940, <laughs> I gotta take my pills. I gotta eat so I can take my back pill. Raindrops keep falling on my head. So Benson takes the mom and Stabler takes the dad. You didn't say the part where the dad comes up. I- I did. I said, just then her husband, Tony, runs up and hugs her. Oh, I didn't see her that part. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's because you were thinking of the 911 thing. And then. Oh, I was. (laughs) (laughs)